Welcome to The Whole Marketer, where we look at the holistic skills the marketeers of today need to grow the brands and businesses of tomorrow, to ensure marketeers feel supported and empowered to have successful and fulfilling careers and lives as a whole. Hello, and welcome to The Whole Marketer podcast. Today's podcast is all about brand transformation, and shortly I'll be welcomed by today's guest, Andrew Geergen. But before I do, let me tell you what brand transformation means to me. Brand transformation is when an organization looks to step change the growth or reclaim the growth of their brands by driving significant changes at all levels, at a corporate, strategic, tactical, and internal level. These changes may be driven at a corporate level due to the change in internal ambition, maybe that's new ownership or leadership, or acknowledgement that change is needed in order to regain or strengthen the commercial position of the business. It could be strategic due to changes in market conditions or competitive concepts or changes in consumer behaviours, or the brand itself is losing equity, or there could be opportunity to unlock in the marketplace, but brand transformation is required in order to unlock that. And it also could be tactical, looking at what products and services you offer with what channels in order to go after unmet opportunities. Regardless where the drive comes from, transformation may be required at all levels in order to deliver and drive this change. Today's guest joined a new business over a year ago to do just this. Andrew started a new role in August of 2021 as Chief Marketing Transformation Officer at PZ Cousins, championing brand building across its full portfolio of markets to deliver a new growth strategy, building brands for life today and for future generations. Prior to this, Andrew was at Diageo for over 13 years, latterly as Global Consumer Planning Director, where he was responsible for brand strategy across its global giants in addition to marketing effectiveness and creativity, foresights, and developing and codifying Diageo's approach to brand building, amongst other things. As part of this, Andrew renovated Diageo's entire approach to consumer learning and applying insights. Andrew's work on marketing effectiveness across the Agio portfolio was awarded gold in the 2020 IPA Effectiveness Awards, in addition to a special prize for best new learning and best use of data. Other roles held by Andrew at Diageo include Global Innovation and Consumer Planning Director on Guinness, and Consumer Planning Director for Diageo Africa, and previously he worked for PepsiCo and a number of consumer research agencies. He is a regular columnist for Marketing Week and voted Marketing Week's Top 100 Effective Marketers in 2020 under the FMCG category. Andrew, welcome to the Whole Marketer podcast. Hi, it's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. So as with the Whole Marketer podcast, we always start with a big juicy question. And today's big juicy question is, what is brand transformation to you? Brilliant question. And actually really quite a difficult one, because I actually think the thing with brands is that Although this may be something that's difficult to confront, they're in a perpetual state of decay. And it's something we often can't see. And and more importantly, many marketers ignore it and often leave it to the next person. Because I think that same consumer behavior that's responsible for building brands is shifting beneath them like sand, even when they're on their way up. And, you know, think about some of the big brands growing in the last couple of decades like Facebook. So often the speed at which they grow is commensurate with the lack of depth in those foundations. So for brands to last centuries, you know, even longer, really great brands, they don't need to transform because they've got the foresight to preempt their own demise and they reinvent and they're able to reimagine their world in changing lives of consumers. And that's, I think, the key to brands evolving and keeping fresh. You know, take 
Netflix at the moment. This is an example where not only has it had to reinvent once, but it's had to reinvent twice since it came into being 20 odd years ago from you know being a challenger to Blockbuster to shifting to streaming as a delivery mechanism and now thinking about content. And actually, I mentioned Facebook. They're trying to do in public the same thing of shifting to meta, a whole, whole different business model. And I guess there are loads of those examples. I think about Nintendo. It started life as a game card company, Apple, Fuji, IBM, Western Union. There are loads of these that have really understood the need to take what's really at their core and that can endure, but to be able to reshape it to keep pace with changing preferences and consumer behavior and to be as good at transforming and again and again. It is about a total system and culture change. Those well-managed brands keep pace because their organizations around them are keeping pace. And ultimately, you could argue they don't need to transform. But I think, as I said at the beginning, the reality is because it's a slow death, most marketers and business, because they're too short-term focused, they're really riding the wave of market forces and consumer behavior, and they're not shaping them. And that narrow horizon, the fact that people only remain in roles for a short period of time, means that those brands actually end up diminishing or disappearing or, or need even more heroic efforts to turn them around and, and transform them. And, and that's when we're in turnaround territory, which is the first step in transformation. But as I said, I think brands are slowly dying around us. And, and that's one of the tasks of the marketer to really recognize and embrace that. So I'm listening to your language that you're using yeah. there, Andrew, and you've got everything from slightly dying slash decaying, maybe being at one end of the spectrum, or maybe even being dead. Let's just go that far, <laughs> the death of a brand, to brands that appreciate that they need to keep pace and are constantly evolving. And then you've got somewhere in the middle, the brands that are enduring and riding the waves. Yes, so on that spectrum of doing nothing, declining, decaying, just riding the waves to hold still. And then that piece around brand transformation, maybe because you've decayed or because the market situation or conditions have changed, we as marketeers need to be able to understand where our brand is on that journey and perhaps be one step ahead. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, it sounds like a grim analogy, but if you flip it, it means we have the most exciting roles if we're prepared to accept the challenge of constantly aligning and realigning and finding the growth in the changing culture and consumer behavior around us. I think you're spot on. The best brands are those that create the system that enables them to keep a step ahead. And it's easier said than done because of all the biases and all the short-term pressures that we get into. So a year ago, maybe not to the day, you joined as the Chief Marketing Transformation Officer at PZ Cousins. Can you tell us about where they were perhaps on that spectrum and the challenge that you had ahead of you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to be honest, this is an amazing once in a career opportunity to be part of a holistic business transformation. PZ Cousins is a FTSE 250 business. It's a legacy business founded in the late 19th century. And it had in latterly in the last kind of 10, 15 years, had some really difficult trading conditions. So in the five or six years up to 2019, it declined an average in revenue of about 6% each year. And alongside that, and this is where it's a brand building case study in reverse, it cut a third of its investment in brands to ensure it remained profitable for its investors. Now, 
I don't need to tell you that when you cut money on brands, it's fine for a while, but ultimately that algorithm runs out of steam and the business found itself in a place where actually growth really stalled. And so a new CEO who'd come via Avon and Kellogg's, but had spent most of his career at P&G, was appointed Jonathan Myers, along with a new CFO and some other appointments, along with a new strategy, which is really simple. It's about building brands, serving consumers, reducing complexity, developing people and growing sustainably was put in place. So it's a business that has decided to come back and that the overall value to the employees, to its investors, to society more more broadly, which really speaks to the B Corp ambition that we've got, is worth turning around. So for me, the challenge is, is really to lead that shift from a trading business into a brand building business. So it's not just about better marketing. It is about holistic mindset and culture change, really creating a new business out of the bones of the old business and keeping the things in it which are amazing. And you know that means I've got an enormous and exciting task that has got so much in it from a leadership point of view that will require a lot of patience and so on. So I've got really stuck into working out how to go about doing that. And then, of course, a year in, rethinking and reimagining how I do that, because inevitably, often how you you start off with really good intentions and life turns out to be more complicated than you thought. Yeah, I always say writing a strategy is one thing, making it happen is a whole nother. Absolutely. And one of the interesting points that you made there was around, it's not just about reinvesting in the brands and having that balance between both trading and building brands for the future. It's also about mindset and culture change. Tell me more about that. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's all about mindset and culture change. We all of us get trapped in our own worlds and what we believe to be true and what we believe is possible. And that business, I guess, had, I mean, I wasn't there, so I can't speak firsthand, but had got trapped into a way of doing things that ultimately wasn't servicing it. And so, to create a new model, a new engine, when a business is you know, nothing more than people, is really complicated because we're all averse to change. We much prefer the comfort of the status quo. And yet to really change something around requires being bold, being imaginative, being experimental. And for me, I clearly, well, hopefully joined because I've got the foundational skills and understanding in how brand building theory and practice, the important thing here, being practice works. But I also took the job because I realized that it was a very different environment and culture and context for me. And that I would have to grow and change and shift how I thought about doing things in order to be successful. And actually, for me, that was the most exciting part of this journey. Talking about that journey and building brands, what was going on when you arrived? What's your strategy for the next three years? What are you focusing on this year? What was your first point of call? So I think it's really interesting. You you often get that 90-day plan thing where you're meant to make sense of the world for 90 days and then start doing stuff. And I buy into that to a degree. But actually, what I think I've done is worked at two speeds. So the first speed is to get stuck into our must-win brands and to work out what are the interventions that we can make in the short and medium term that will make the biggest difference and that will actually get things moving. At the same time, what I did was a more robust analysis of what needed to change. So from that, I 
did develop a strategy about the shift in model that we'd made. And there were three basic horizons to that. It's about where to win. That's about better strategy and planning tools. How to win. That's about ensuring we've got great everyday marketing practices around brand building, execution, excellence, innovation, revenue, growth management, and that we've got a common view and philosophy of brand building. And then the third pillar is about how to keep winning, which is about getting in place the right measurement and learning. And that really is less about the tools and more about the growth mindset, all of which underpinned by talent and capability. So I've done two things, really. One is get stuck into the brands and partner and coach and develop the people running those brands to make the work and the plans better as quickly as we can, whilst rebuilding the engine, if you like, with a proper strategy. And where we're focusing now is in strategy and planning. So all of our brands now a year in have three to five year brand and innovation strategies and are translating those into plans for the year ahead. So that's a big win alongside which I've really focused on revenue growth management because the potential for getting better at pricing, promotion, pack price architecture, and, and all of those things is so important because it will fuel the growth on the brands. And then the third area I've really focused in on is innovation. Because again, that's incremental revenue if we do it well and fuel for growth versus where the business has been, which was over-reliant on short-term fragrance and innovation. So big holistic plan. And by the way, it's multi-year. It's going to take three to five years to implement all of that with the team and make a real sustainable change. Definitely. And I think appreciating that upfront, especially when you know, you've know you arrived in a business that was very much more trading and not about long-term brand building, to then writing that strategy whilst getting your soldiers in a row, as I like to call it, all those quick wins, as well as then thinking about as not only the long-term, but what is going to be that engine for growth and obviously innovation. And I was waiting for you, knowing, knowing you well, Andrew, to say innovation as being one of those core engines for growth. And are you starting to see any sprouts yet? (laughs) Yeah, actually. You know, I guess the first thing we have to acknowledge is we're trying to do this transformation during possibly the most volatile, uncertain external environment that there's been for, I don't know, 40 years, probably since the late 70s, early 80s. And that makes it more complicated. It makes it more fascinating because it's challenge upon challenge. And that notwithstanding, we're actually in growth and we've been in growth consistently now for the last six quarters. So I'm not going to pretend that's been easy. And it's been a real challenge to achieve that. But the first part, which is turnaround, feels like we're making really good progress on it. And we've certainly got some of the businesses now which are really very firm and predictable despite that external environment. So I'm always, I never like to jinx myself by (laughs) claiming victory too soon because we're nowhere there. But the next phase then will be around a real transformation and then really unlocking potential. And as well as in the organic business, we've also acquired the first business as part of this, which is a UK baby and kids toiletries business called Child's Farm, which is wonderful business, founder-led, B Corp certified. And that's another proof point, I think, of the fact that we are increasing in our boldness in how we think about this change. Mm. It's funny, I do believe strategy is one thing. It's easy to write strategy down on paper. It's 
far harder to deliver it. And it is that old chestnut of uh, culture Trump strategy. And, and it's so true. And it does mean when you're on a journey like this, it's really important to celebrate the moments where you are making great progress and not feel like the road is so long that it's too hard. But in the same breath, you do need the humility to be able to go, where am I really on this journey? What's changed since I last evaluated and thought about what I'm trying to achieve? And are the plans and the approaches I'm making still the right ones or do I need to rethink? The end game's clear. It's how you get there that gets muddy. <laughs> it does get muddy. And as you say, you know, market conditions change and you know, there's always another challenge, whether that's internally or externally. And sometimes you do have to course correct. But the strategy and the goal remains the same, just that how you arrive there may flex along the journey. And I think, as you say, it's those moments of reflection of going, how are we really doing? You know, we've, in your case, you were saying, you know, I've got six quarters of success. Are we going to continue on this trajectory? What are we predicting? You know, it's great to celebrate the success. I always say that, you know, in the book about rewarding the brain. So your brain knows the hard work has a positive benefit and obviously ensuring that your team remain motivated and the cross-functional team remain motivated to keep going. But also, as you say, taking no time as the leader and maybe as a collective team and actually realistically, how are we doing? Are we going to continue on this trajectory? What do we need to adjust? What are we going to do next and keep having having that honest conversation, that culture, as you say. Yeah. Listen, you're so right. And what you're alluding to is one of the things that has changed in the last couple of years is the recognition of our own well-being and kind of psychic energy to be able to achieve that. And whereas I think in the past, a lot of businesses expected people to be resilient, by which they meant able to put up with a lot of stuff. Mm. Now, I think we're recognizing that one of the jobs for us to do in businesses is to create an environment environment in which people can continue with the challenges that they face and find joy in them. It's not meant to be a slog. It's meant to be something which you're learning. The challenges are things that you're finding pleasure in overcoming them. And I think for all businesses at the moment, getting that balance right is important. And I think it's part of the kind of employee offer, really. I certainly think a lot of businesses are getting it wrong. I think it's very easy to pay lip service to well-being because actually it's another string to an employee's bow. If they're good at that, it means they'll be able to deliver more as opposed to actually really caring that you've created an environment in which people can thrive, can learn and can deliver an amazing things together. It's so true. And we were talking offline for our listeners before we started recording, we we're saying just that around it's forever changing as marketeers. You know, it's a challenging yet rewarding profession. And we really need to make sure that we are supporting marketeers to feel fulfilled in their jobs and their lives as a whole. So you've been on this journey and you're still on this journey coming into business transformation. Obviously, one of the things that was appealing to you was the evolution of it and the ability to consider culture and mindset as part of the transformation. What have you learned about yourself, Andrew, on this journey? Uh, you know, clearly we're drawn to things for specific reasons. And I was drawn to this because I actually think that we are like those brands that I talked about at the beginning. 
we're, if we're not careful, and again, I don't want to sound overly dramatic or grim, but we're also in a state of decay or decline. And if we maintain the status quo with ourselves, then ultimately, we're not going to be able to grow and unlock the promise that we've got in ourselves. So from my point of view, the big learning here, and and actually one of the reasons why I, I accepted the challenge was because I see myself as a transformation project as well. And if I'm not prepared to put the effort into transforming myself, what I see, how I operate in my mindset, I don't see how I can possibly have an impact on this big holistic transformation journey and an impact on the people that I'm going to need to take with me on it. And so for me, the learning really is around having the humility to say that I've got some stuff which really is useful here. But unless I push myself and think and get the insight into myself, I'm not going to be enough to do this. So it's an interesting combination of having enough confidence in your own raw materials and your experiences, but also the humility to go, I'm going to have to do something different with all of those things and myself in order to achieve this. So fundamentally, being prepared and challenging myself to change myself, I think, is going to be one of the keys that will enable me to, I hope, succeed on this journey. And I mentioned I was drawn to it for a reason, and that's because in the year or two, probably before I'd embarked on this, in the last employer I was in, I'd been lucky enough to get on the Marketing Academy Fellowship. And if your listeners haven't heard about the fellowship and the scholarship, they should go and find out about it because they are amazing life and career enhancing programs. And the Marketing Academy Fellowship provoked me to think about the biggest potential that I could have and what I needed to do to go after that. And so two years before, just before the pandemic, I actually embarked on a journey of going, you know, where, who, who, who am I? What am I good at? What do I offer to the world? And you know, what do I need to do to make the most of that? And and that can be a scary and uncertain time. And I think a lot of people in the last couple of years have done similar things, provoked then by everything that COVID has thrown up into the world. But I do think we should be doing this often in life. You, you sort of need to know who you are at every age and every moment to be able to make sense of what's going on around you and, and to be still putting your energies and efforts into the things which are going to be most rewarding for you and hopefully have the biggest impact on people around you and the businesses that you work for. 100%. And I always say, in some of the leadership courses that I developed from the whole marketer space, I always talk about you can only help others into the extent in which you know yourself. Yeah. And as you just said, if you know your strengths, what you need in order to thrive, what gives you energy, what makes your soul come to life, what you're passionate about, you know, all of those things, and you choose a role, as you've done, Andrew, that plays to that space, then you're going to be better equipped to understand the benefit that that brings in order to help others do the same. And that is the difference between doing a job for me and doing something that's actually playing to your values and what you bring to society as a whole. 
Yeah. And the values bit is and has always been so important. If I find I need to be in a place where I can align myself and my values with what's going on. And actually, when that's not in place, that's when I feel, you know, real sense of things not being right or peril. So the knowing who you are and where you want to go and, and knowing that that's an evolving question. None of us know, and it's not fixed either. It needs to shift. And also knowing what matters to you, what your values, I think, are really important. Which again, it's just like the best brands, right? They're really clear on the role they play in the world and the values and you know what they would and wouldn't do. And you mentioned earlier around acknowledging that you're going to have to change. Tell us more about that and your role as a leader with leading a marketing team and other cross-functional teams on this yep. journey with you. It's an interesting combination, I think, in providing clarity of vision and direction so that people know where they're going. And the path is certain. And combining that with vulnerability, with being prepared to disclose and share the things which are challenging you and your experiences as you go. And why I say it's an interesting balance is, if I think if you show up going, I don't know where we're going, and I, I don't know what I'm doing here, then that undermines and unsettles people. Whereas if you show up with a clear vision that you've got people to input into, shape with you, and therefore own with you, and you've got the courage to show some vulnerability, they will go, I feel like that too. It's okay to feel like that. It's okay to feel uncertain about what we're doing. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to find my way and, and collaborate and get good answers from people. That's what I think the balance is. And I do think that's a change, certainly in the experience that I had probably 20 odd years ago of people who managed in a much more authoritarian and directive way. I think, I hope the shift towards a more inclusive way in which people are able to show up as themselves and that being not just good enough but actually better because it enables more progress and more authentic collaboration feels like the direction of travel for leadership which I think is a great step forward. Definitely and when I was doing the research for my book authenticity and honesty were the two things that people well not only two things they also wanted people that were inspirational yes. uh, and visionaries but those were two of the traits that marketeers were asking for in their leaders you know the authenticity to be honest and them there to be their true self because by being you allows others to be them but also the honesty around what is going on what do i need to do not necessarily just having to always put on as you say the brave face that allows them to feel part of it and allows them to also connect on a deeper level because you're both sharing vulnerability and vulnerability is the basis of all relationships. So can only lead to good things. So Andrew, have there been any other lessons so far, not only about yourself or that you would want to give to anybody else about to embark on a brand transformation project? Yeah, I think, I mean, there are some big ones. Don't embark on a project like this and the scale of the project that I've got, unless you've got real deep alignment between the CEO and the CMO. A lot of businesses talk a good game on wanting transformation, but they don't put in place the conditions that really enable that to thrive. And even when you've got that alignment and a great strategy in place, it's still going to be hard because it's cultural change and that's always hard. I think the second thing is around really recognizing that a shift to a brand building a model requires a total system change. I think too often the academic theory on brand building misses the complexity of 
actual practice. You know, it's things like at the moment, there's lots of people talking about, you must continue to invest in your brands during a recession. It's all well and good from a theoretical perspective, but when you're actually facing cost of goods, wages, all of those things, finding the money to invest can be really tricky. And therefore, actually recognizing brand building is a holistic business change is important. And then the third thing, and this echoes some of the things we've talked about, is having patience, resilience, and humility. You know, the very fact that transformation is required means you'll need to have more in your toolkit and it will be ultimately more complex and less straightforward than you're expecting. And you've got to manage yourself so that you can really celebrate the milestones as you go. Hold yourself to the vision of what you're trying to achieve, which will always feel a bit out of reach. And, you know, reimagine and reinvent the path as you go. So I think those are the qualities that I think really will serve me alongside those other things. So those are the things I would encourage anybody thinking about going on bold transformation to really get clear in their mind. Wonderful. So, Andrew, I have to ask career highs and lows. Yeah, well, you know. I've been really lucky. I've had the opportunity to work on some great brands at some great moments in their history. On Walkers, when it was really the big expansion into kind of grocery multi-packs and brands like Sensations on Tropicana in the UK, when when it was really doubling the size of the business and becoming a really well-known brand. I was at Diageo for about 14 years and did some amazing roles. I worked in Africa for a few years. I worked on the Guinness Global Brand Team. But of I guess of, of all of those things, a couple do leap out to me for different reasons. One is the job I did in Africa, and that was just because it taught me so much about leadership. I think working in a radically different culture and environment really forces you to confront all of the things that you've been trained and taught to do and to see the world afresh through some very different ideas. So Africa was huge. And actually, it was one of the reasons in this current job, I was drawn to it because the business has a big Africa presence as well. Second one would be around the marketing effectiveness work I did when I was in my last role at Diageo as Global Consumer Planning Director. And that was, I think I had an amazing team of people there. We had a very stretching business context and a very stretching business ambition. And we achieved extraordinary results results and I think put in place a system and way of working across the whole of Diageo that was really industry leading and contributed significantly to kind of thinking on practice for marketing effectiveness. And then the third one, and actually you had a podcast recently on this with Jerry Dakin on Progressive Gender, was the work I did at Diageo on working out how to crack the problem of in practice, portraying a broader range of consumers better in communications. Everybody finds it really easy to align on the fact that there's a problem, but how you actually systematize overcoming those biases with your teams, your agency, and so on is really complex. And I think that's one where I'm proud of the contribution I made there because it cracked a big problem and also collaborated across the industry with other FMCG and and consumer goods organizations with UN Women and so on. So I think those are three examples for quite different reasons, the things I've found so exciting and, and pleasurable. In terms of lows and flip sides, there are relatively few. And as I think about them, they are 
all fairly similar. And it's when I've been in a situation where I've had a not great boss, to be honest. Mm. And it's when there's been an insufficient emphasis placed on leadership and values. And I really value my own freedom and ability to to operate. And when I feel constrained, when I feel under-leveraged or micromanaged is when I felt the most miserable. And I do think, and I, I think Mark, Mark Ritson has talked far more provocatively about this than I will, but I think we're still in a world where corporate culture does enable some mediocre people who excel in, in managing up to, but who might not actually be that amazing to to make real progress. And thankfully, I haven't had many of those, but I have had the occasional person where it's been really hard. And Mm. ultimately, I've always stuck with it because I think the worst thing you can do in a situation like that is just jump. You've got to plan and and plot your exit. And I've only had to move jobs, I think, twice over my entire career because I just wasn't inspired, stretched, and wasn't thriving with the kind of line manager in the context that I've had. So I think, sure, when you ask people, it'd be interesting, you you should do some analysis on your own podcast because I know this is something you often ask people is what the themes are. And I imagine that's a recurrent theme. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I should do my analysis on my own podcast. It's a great piece of advice. For our listeners, fun fact, 2005, I think it was, Andrew actually was my lecturer. Is that the right terminology? Trainer. When I was doing my CIM qualifications. So Andrew's continuing to give me some challenges there. So yes, I will analyze my own podcast themes and see what insight (laughs) I find. And you didn't turn out too badly as a result of of that that experience all those years ago. I'd like to think not. I'd like to think not. (laughs) Well, Andrew, thank you so much for sharing so honestly on today's podcast. And we always finish with the following question, which is, what one piece of advice would you give to marketers of tomorrow? Well, you know, there are so many distractions, I think, in the world. I would go, you know, to be a really successful is learn your craft because the core skills of marketers are enduring they're the same as when I began. It's only really the ever-changing world around us that shifts and people do tend to overstate that shift. So I would learn your craft and balance that out with amazing leadership skills. So, you know, be curious, be commercial and be true to yourself and really seek to unlock the most value that you can. Love that. That's such a great piece of advice. And thank you again for your time on today's podcast. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for tuning into the Whole Marketer podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do like, follow and share. The Whole Marketer is here to support and empower you and your teams with the latest technical skills, soft and leadership skills and behaviours and personal understanding for a successful, fulfilling marketing career and life as a whole. For support, resources and more information on how we can help you to become a Whole Marketer and build Whole Marketing teams, go to www.thewholemarketer.com.